Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do every week. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there. Thanks for joining us. This is episode 79. Again, I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. We certainly are over here at the Drum Shuffle. It is just busy, busy, busy all the time. Uh, Crazy week for me. I have the uh, funnel gig coming up on Saturday of this week. We're really looking forward to that. The first time we've played out in about 11 years. So uh, lots of preparation underway for that. We have a great episode for you today. I am going to be joined by just a world-class percussionist today by the name of Samuel Torres. If you don't know Samuel's work, I want everybody to get hip to him very, very quick. He's going to be joining me in just a moment right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, everybody. As I mentioned, we're about to be joined by Samuel Torres. Uh, Samuel is just a world-class hand percussionist. He has played with just everybody on earth, it would seem. Um, Some of his credits include Arturo Sandoval, Chick Corea, Shakira, Ricky Martin. Uh, The list just goes on and on. He's just played uh, with some wonderful folks. Jeff Tain Watts. We talked about that just a little bit. Um, This is a guy uh, who was born in Colombia and came to the States in 1999 and has been extremely busy ever since. But we got him on the show. I really wanted to talk about his new record uh, uh, that is full of things that he has composed himself uh, and released. The album is called Alegria. Uh, It will be on the streets on October 25th, if I got my dates correct. And I want everybody to check this out. It is just one of the most uh, um, danceable, joyous, uh, Latin percussion type records I've heard in a long, long time. Just doing fantastic work out there. So please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle, Samuel Torres. Hey, good evening, Samuel. How are you? Hello, how are you? I'm very happy to be here. Oh, well, we're so glad that you took the time to do it. We really do appreciate it. So, uh, you know, uh, as I said before we got going here, what a, a great new record. And I, I want to make sure I say this right. It's Alegria, correct? Alegria, exactly. That translates to English, joy. Joy, or okay. Happiness. Well, happiness. It is a very aptly named record, if that's the case, because as soon as I put this record on, I was smiling from ear to ear. It's just so happy. It's great music. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. Oh, Thank you're, you so much. you're very, no idea. very welcome. It's, it's just such a good record. So, um, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I'm really curious and I, and I think our listeners will be as well. You know, um, you were born in Columbia. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit about your early days. How did you get into the the percussion world? Well, uh, my my family uh, comes from uh, musicians. Uh, My uncle, Eddie Martinez, he was a very important piano player, arranger for the Latin scene here in New York since the 1960s. So I grew up in Colombia listening to the records that my uncle did in the 60s and the 70s here in New York. My uncle was a piano player and arranger for Ray Barreto, for Tito Puente, Mongo Santa Maria. So all those amazing records I had at home. So that was the most important influence in, in my musical career, you know. I grew up listening to my uncle's music that he did here in New York. and. Yeah, I had those records at home, you know, and when I was a little kid, I didn't pay too much attention to it, you know, because, you know, you just had your records of your grandparents. And then when my grandparents died, I was around like 11, 12, you began to realize, okay, what's uh, your family tradition? And then I began to put those records out. And I remember one record of Ray Barreto that it was very important it's called Indestructible and Destructible and always stuck in my mind since I was a little kid because it had the image of Superman he was Ray Barreto like taking his glasses out and transforming <laughs> into Superman okay so as a, as a kid that's like the record of Superman you know Sure. And I say one day, I want to search this famous record you know that I had in my house that had this Superman on the cover and when I put it, I just, that was it. I said, like, what is this? Is this Ray Barreto? This is the Congas? That's it. That's how I got. In, in, I decided I wanted to be a Conga player right away. Okay. When I listened to this music, that energy, I began to search a lot about uh, Ray Barreto's music here in New York. And then through that, I began to learn about Latin jazz and then Afro-Cuban music. And then decided to study music in a formal way. So they need to study classical music. And then they, the ears began to open. Right. Well, and you are classically trained. I mean, you, you received your you know college degree, I, I'm assuming, in Colombia in percussive yes. arts, right? Well, actually, no. My, 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 I began to study uh, classical percussion. I began to play, you know, snare drum, my marimba, everything. And I had a little conflict because I said to myself, you know, I love it, this, this is fun, but this is not really what I want to do. I want to play Latin percussion. I want to play the congas. I want to use this technique in my Latin, you know, the hand percussion. So I quit the major. I just keep studying the, the, like the theoretical signatures. Sure. Harmony, contrapoint, everything, everything, history. But I was practicing the instrument outside the school because at that time there was no hand percussion or popular music in the school. It was only classically trained. I see. Okay. So, so but, it was more orchestral then, in other words. Yeah. See, so, so, yeah. And I didn't really want to even though that I love classical percussion and I had my like four years on classical percussion. I, I thought to myself, I really want to spend this time practicing my, my conga. So my teachers, everybody will not believe because they thought, okay, conga player is going to end up playing in a salsa band or whatever. It's not, <laughs> not going to develop like a classical percussionist. And I said, no, I, I really think I can, I, this, this instrument needs the same amount of time that you need to play another instrument. So I did that, but then two years later or something, I had to really get involved again with a major in the university. So I wanted to go back to percussion, but the dean of, of the of the music department, I talked to him, I showed him my music. You know, I was beginning to write Latin jazz music. And he told me, why are you going to back to percussion? You know, why don't you study classical contemporary composition? That will open your mind and your ears totally. Yeah. Because he told me, you're like already an amazing percussionist. You know, I was like 19, 18. You can have a career like that, but... 
I think if you study composition, you're going to be more than a good percussionist. You know, you can, you can really open and create new music for, for your style and create the sound of you and be more creative. You have more tools. And basically, that's what I did. I got my degree in classical composition. I see. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I knew that you were classically trained and, and, you know, I don't want to jump around too much, but, um, you know, you've played with just the, the list of folks that you've played with is amazing. Let me say that. First of all, you know, uh, Paquito de Rivera, uh, Chick Corea, uh, Alejandro Sanz, um, Ricky Martin, Shakira. I mean, y- you've played with kind of the who's who. So I guess my question is, um, obviously your playing ability is fantastic, but I'm guessing that composition background allowed you to go into all of those different situations ready to to add something to the mix, so to speak. Actually, you're absolutely right. I think uh, when you have, especially when you approach a creative music, and like when you play creative music like jazz or something like that, then you have to have a compositional approach to what you're playing. Right. Because you have to understand composition. You have to understand a form and a contrast and unity and the elements of the piece that makes that piece unique. Because usually for percussionists, a, for example, I go to play a jazz you know, recorder or something, they tell me, okay, bring your toys and make some colors. <laughs> there's nothing written. I have the bass part, I have the piano part, but the percussion part, there's nothing written. It's not like, okay, I'm going to play this rhythm. Right. How I'm going to choose what to play, where to play. That's when you have to think about uh, colors and tension and different uh, textures and, uh, you know, like build up architecture in the texture. So you can really create a percussion. And in pop music, it happens the same. Because when you record percussion in pop tune, what you, you know, they, they already figure out many of the things, they, the motif, they, the hookup of the tune. But what percussion are you going to add? Right. That's well, mostly up to you. Yeah, it, right. And you bring up a really good point. You know, I've been a, a drum set player for most of my life. I know great percussion when I hear it, but I can't I can't do what you do. So if I were hiring you to play on one of my records, I would say, Samuel, come in and do what you do. You know, so it, it would be up to you to decide <laughs> yeah. what's going to go on the record. You know, I'm not yeah. going to you know, I don't understand hand percussion enough to sit down and write out a chart for someone. Yeah. And usually they can tell you ideas. Oh, I want some, or you can hear, I want some congas here. I want a heavy sound or you, or for example, you come to a gig or to a, to a recording and there's something that sounds really Latin. Uh, but if you play congas, then they tell you, no, that instrument is too heavy. Right. You know, so the, so then you have to, how to interpret the music in the best way also that the composer uh, is, is in the composer's uh, expressive idea what what he has in mind. Right. You now you have to figure out a little thing there. You have to understand the composition, basically. Absolutely. And that's what composition is, is important. Absolutely. Well, so now while you were, you know, still in Colombia, you know, you're going to university, all of those things, presumably you were out in the clubs as well, playing and kind of learning what works and what doesn't, right? Yes. 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 I think, uh, I think what they call, you know, the, the, the school of the university and the school of the street, how they used to call it in back in Colombia, La Escuela de la Calle, uh, they, they complement each other. You know, what you can learn on the school, you will not get it on the street playing, you know, nightclubs. But what you learn in the nightclub, you're not going to get it in the school. Right. So it's a complementary. You have to be very responsible and it's really hard work because at that time, uh, clubs in Bogota will be open until 6 a.m. and then we play the last set of the band at 4.30 a.m. a Thursday. So I will end up going home at 6 a.m. just to pick up my things and go right to school. 
So it was really tough, but to have those, uh, those both schools, you know, because in the street you learn a lot of experience and a lot of, a lot of way how people teach you how to play a traditional percussion. It's very, very important, you know, you have the, the oral tradition and how people play and create vibrance and it gives you so much experience. Right. Right. Well, you know, I know that you came to the States in 1999 and you you originally moved to Miami, you you said. Um, Mm. What was that decision process like? Was it uh, so let me set this up just a little bit. Presumably, you know, you graduated from university in in Bogota and did you decide my best shot at making a living as a musician is going to be in the U.S. or were there other factors that went into that decision to move here? Well, I knew since the beginning that I wanted when I wanted to be a musician that I wanted to come to the United States. Okay, that, that uh, I didn't know exactly how it was going to happen when I was back studying in Colombia. I applied for uh, to study at Berkeley in Boston, and actually I got. A half a scholarship. You were great, but at that time, now Berkeley has a lot of great programs to bring a musicians from Latin America to study here. But at that time, even half a scholarship, you had to be a millionaire in Colombia to pay that school. <laughs> right? Yeah, There's it's no, expensive, no doubt. <laughs> and from 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 people over there is is if here is expensive, over there is triple expensive. Right. So. So, so even that I got that, it was there like, it's impossible. You know, I, we cannot have, I, if I don't have full scholarship or whatever, I, even how I'm going to live, it's, there was no option. So talking with a lot of people and, and the experience I was having in Colombia at the time, it was really great. So, you know what, maybe it's better that I got, that I finished my studies in Colombia, you know, and, and uh, my school was a really, really, really great school. So... I think it was good. So when I finished, then then I moved to Miami, and I moved to Miami specifically because one year before my mom, my mom moved to Miami. With oh, okay, her okay. So you had family there to begin. Okay, so it makes so a little bit why, more sense. Okay. Yeah, so that's why I went exactly to Miami, and then uh, I and I had friends in Miami, a lot of uh, some Cuban musicians that I met in Colombia, and they they introduced me to a lot of the Cuban scene in Miami. And it was the perfect transition for me to get ready to come to New York. Like I didn't, like in life, you know, what's your goal? You know, I wanted at some point that I wanted to be in New York playing jazz and Latin jazz and being in the New York scene. But you don't know exactly how it's going to happen. You just go and focus and work hard and you put you have your goal. And then at some point it, it came. It came right. Everything went perfect. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, presumably, you know, being in Miami, um, there's quite a great music scene in South Florida. So, uh, you know, presumably you got pretty busy as soon as you got there. Yeah. The first, the first months were, of course, not easy. Uh, As an immigrant, you know, it was, it was very hard. But yeah, he got really busy, and then I, after maybe like a, a year or eight months living in Miami, uh, I began to play with Arturo Sandoval, and and basic. I'm really thankful to him because he he gave me the opportunity to 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 really begin to play and experience the music and performance, and I learned with him so much. We traveled all over the United States and just festivals. And, and you know, had the opportunity to play, you know, my solos and in the stage and begin to have that experience with these amazing artists and performers. So that when I began, I began to come to New York to perform. We play blue now. We play some festivals here. So people began to hear about me. So oh, the Colombian conga perda, Arturo Sandoval. Oh yeah, yeah. So a lot of people began to talk about it. So when I came finally to New York, then a lot of people knew my work. So Arturo Sandoval was a definitely a very important person for me here moving to the United States. Sure. Absolutely. Now, you know, for for those uh, of my listeners who aren't 100% familiar, 
Uh, Arturo Sandoval is just a legend in jazz music. I mean, legendary as as big yeah. as big as it gets. Who were yeah. some of the drummers that that he had out playing with him during that time? At that time, the drummer was Ernesto Simpson. Okay, I he Ernesto for me, it's one of the the most amazing geniuses drummers from Cuba. He's living now in London, but his language playing, you know, the, the, the rhythmic language, the musicality he has in the drums and the way he could play straight ahead, play Brazilian music, Colombian music, and of course, Cuban music, everything was at the, at the most deepest and highest level. So it was my, like my best experience to play with him. And I play with him in many other situations. He used to live in Colombia too. That's how, that's how uh, I met Arturo. Uh, then we played together with Richard Bona. Uh, and we played, he recorded two of my records. So he's been a very influential uh, musician in the career. Sure. Well, and, and you know, Simpson. yeah, and, and Arturo, um, you know, has never, <laughs> he's never had B-list players <laughs> on his no. records or in his band. It's always the best of the best. So, yeah. you know, that's a very high level is my point in all of that. Now, when you when you got to New York, I mean, again, you know, you've played with just, you know, everybody. I mean, you, your credits are incredible. Talk to me a little bit. And I know some of that is just word of mouth, you know, people learning ab- about you and, you know, asking you, hey, can you do these shows? Can you play on this record, et cetera? But you know, a list of credits like this doesn't just happen overnight. Presumably, no. you know, you were working really hard to get some of these gigs. Yeah, and, and I think uh, there's something important uh, in, in the music career is that it's something you build every day. Something that you build up every day. And when you're beginning, you never should take for granted any kind of gig, as, as, as simple as it could be, or as small as it could be, or it's, maybe it's a restaurant, there's only two persons in the audience, you should always play like it's your last time or your first time playing. Yeah. And that attitude creates that every, every time you play, you give the best of yourself. And that's how you create the connections. And for example, many of the Latin pop artists that I record with, it's connections, friends that I have from many years ago, and they all have the same attitude, and they began to work in production and became producers little by little. They began to work, and suddenly these musicians are the top of the line producers in pop music and Latin music scene, and they know that whenever they want something of high quality, they can they can come to me, and I will give the most professional and most I put the heart of everything I do. So, so that's how you create those relations, you know, and, and how you get to, to get to know. And people know that, that when they call you, they, you know, it's like a quality control. Always you want to have the best quality because you give for anything. You just give your heart. You put all your soul on anything you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just great advice for, for any musician. And, you know, I, I, it shows, I mean, you, um, and I'm, I may get the, the date wrong, but I, I want to say 2011, 2012, you were awarded the new Jazz Works grant by yeah. uh, Chamber Music America. They they don't just hand those out to anybody. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, so, yeah, I mean, that that's was. that's very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, that, that was a, a that's a great grant that they have here in the United States. And it's very interesting because because you say Chamber Music America, everybody thinks it's only for classical music, for chamber music. But it, it's not. It has a big uh, section for jazz. And and they are now giving so much. Last year, I think they gave like 15 grants. It's like they're supporting jazz in the United States a lot. And that's how you'll be able to make records and, and to record and do create new music. So... For me, as a hand percussionist, it was an honor because I think I'm the first hand percussionist to, to get that award. Also, as a Latin musician, Latin singer, Latino, they are, we are 
just a few persons who have got it, but but I think it's it's opening uh, the doors also for the diversity of Latin jazz and also what it what constitutes American music, you know, because it's supported to the music of the United States, American music, but yeah. jazz is has so many influences that all those became part of what is the tradition of the music that is being done here in the United States. Uh, absolutely, and. You know, not not only, and I've mentioned a lot of the jazz and pop things that you've done, but you know, you you've also uh, played with the City of London Symphony, the Boston Pops, uh, the Bogota yeah. Philharmonic, the the Medellin Philharmonic. I mean, so you, you've been a Los Angeles Philharmonic, Nashville Symphony. I mean, you're you're such a well-rounded player. It, it it sounds to me like you're able to go from you know, a pop gig to a jazz gig to a, a strictly classical type percussion gig. So the versatility, I think, helps you tremendously to be able to work in all these different environments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think versatility and diversity is one of the biggest assets for any musician. Because, for example, sometimes a great gig maybe not be playing, maybe... Can I buy this music for this movie? Can you arrange this for this soap opera? Can I have a friend who has a, a, a theater company? So then I write the music for him. And it could be something from like a salsa tune, very commercial, or I can compose something very deep experimental in the contemporary classical vibe. So, so sure. the more diversity you have, more versatility, uh, gives you more opportunities to work and really make a living and, and, and enjoy doing music all, all, all the time. Sure, absolutely. Well, so I have to ask this, um, you know, I, obviously, you know, the, the, the hand percussion thing is, is your, your bailiwick, so to speak, but do, yeah. you, do you ever sit down behind a drum set? And, and no. do, you, you do not. Okay, so I was kind of curious if maybe you composed on drum set as well. No, no, me and my drum. I have a eternal love for drums, drum set, but not me playing it. Okay. <laughs> I <laughs> That's love fair drums. Enough. I, le- I learn from them, but uh, maybe because well, I cannot play nothing close to whatever comes to my mind. So I just feel like, like, not, I, inspire, I don't know, I feel. I feel silly playing a drum, so I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to spend time trying to learn something that I, that I, I don't know. Sure. I, I love it. I love it a lot. I love it. I love, and I love to play with great drummers. And but no, me and drums, no. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that's fair enough, you know, because me and, uh, you know, congas, yeah, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I can tap something out, but it doesn't sound like anything, you know, so. Yeah. Well, you know, so I know that you've worked with just some incredible drummers, um, you know, and I don't know if your path ever crossed when you were doing work with Shakira with Brendan Buckley. Brendan is is a a friend of the shows and he's been on the show before and we're working on getting him back. But I noticed you've got Jeff Tane Watts uh, in, in your bio. Um, if you were working with Chick Korea, I'm going to assume that may have been Dave Weckl. I don't know that, but um, talk about some of the incredible drummers that you've worked with over the years. Yeah, when I was, when I was with Chick Korea, I was actually a concert in Miami, and, uh, like an all-star. And the drummer, there were two drummers at the night. It was Horacio Negro Hernandez and Jeff Ballard. That is so okay. so incre- incredible drummers. Yeah, with Tane, it was an incredible experience because we used to jam here in New York a lot. And then one time he called me to play with his group, uh, with no rehearsal. He told me, "And where's the charge?" He said, "No, don't worry about anything. Just play." <laughs> like, okay. And the tunes have like a five four seven four. You know, a lot of odd meters. Sure. And you just figure the odd meters because you hear the music, but always come with surprise. I'm playing, okay, I missed a bit. So that was a 5-4 or that was a 7-4 <laughs> because I'm playing. Well, but you know, you, the, the, if you get to get it. 
Yeah, there, there may be nothing more scary than Tane Watts calling you up and saying, oh, no, no, we don't need to rehearse, you know, because all of his stuff is in odd time, it seems like, you know, I mean, that's kind of yeah. what he's known for. That's fantastic. So uh, I, go ahead. This, this, this is funny because like, like we were playing in this club, the sing bar in New York, that is, they all sing bar, that it was very small. And we began to play this song in 7-4, but it was like a fast 7-4. I came and playing, and he's okay. He does his solo, his face all there. Okay, now, Samuel, you go. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay, I'll go. And I, I, and I began to try to sing a little bit as a 7-4, like he playing Latin music, and things were not working out. <laughs> I, I thought to myself, this is, this is how they feel. So instead, I... Imagine how Tain will play it. Right. You know? Like I, that's why it's so important to to listen to a lot of drummers because as a percussion, you have to adapt. Because many drummers have different ways of thinking, the beat, the tempo, and to and to do the phrases. So you always have to be able to not to get into the middle of the conversation with the drums. So so I began to think with him, you know, like in a big one, and, and then he was. Right, it was really fun, but it was a learning experience. Uh, and that was one of my first, my first gigs with Tane. Yeah, well, man, I, I can only imagine. And, and, you know, you mentioned Jeff Ballard and El Negro. I mean, that's just, you know, it's a who's who of drummers that, that you've performed with. I mean, it's just mm. just amazing. Um, so I, I'm going to transition just a little bit here um, because I do want to talk about the, the record, Alegria. Um, you know, I've listened to it and, you know, there, you know, everybody picks out their, you know, their favorite songs or, or whatever the case may be, but, you know, I was immediately drawn to, uh, the strength to love, um, little grasshopper. I loved, yeah. So, I mean, this record, talk to me a little bit about the composition process, you know, because the, these are all, you know, your compositions. Is this something that you've been working on for a while or did you just sit down one day and a record came came <laughs> to you, you know? Well, I think sometimes to compose, in, in my case, it's not that I need to work too much, you know, think music flows when it's time to flow. But I've been thinking about what I need to express and what I hear, my feelings, a lot of times. My previous record uh, is entitled For Displacement. And this tune, is, it was a very hard subject about the victims of the violence in Colombia. You sure. know, we were talking about the peace process in 2015 in Colombia. So, so I wrote that, that, that suite with the Chamber Music Grant, America Grant, for a, you know, for that situation, like a homage, a tribute to, to, to all the suffering over there. So it's a beautiful record. I really, it really had a lot of those feelings there. But when I feel that record, I said, okay, this is out. I feel I need to do happy music. That, that was the whole thing, that I need to do something. It's like a metaphorical response to that. And I think also it's a response to the situation that the world is living right now. You know, we need to, uh, with all this hate around and everything, I think what we need to talk is about reconciliation and forgiveness and, you know, and diversity and not hate and just accept how people think different. And, uh, and that we, people that we think different, we can live together and, and, and live in community and love each other, but we have to think the same. So, so I think, well, I think the best, thing that represents that it is joy, is happiness, is is dance, is celebration. It's I imagine a family where this the grandparents, the little kids, the crazy uncles, you know, the crazy aunt, everybody <laughs> together. Everybody can fight each other, you know, big families, the Latin American families, all the drama that you want, all the telenovela in the family. But when it's time to celebrate all together, they are all together dancing, celebrating and happy new year, for example. So I think that was the perfect, uh, like a portrait that I imagine in my head to write this, 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 this record. So actually the writing came out really fast, you know, little grasshopper I wrote it in one day. It, it comes very fast, but there's a, a lot of work previous to that. 
of what I'm going to do, what I want to express. What's the harm, harmonic uh, language that I'm going to use? Uh, you know, what, those things, how I'm going to compose the, the music. I thought that I would want it to be complex but not complicated music. So I would use simple motifs that repeat and then uh, manipulate those motifs, but I didn't want to create crazy complex bebop melodies or nothing like that because that's another thing to express. So I keep my joy, happiness and simpleness uh, in the in the clarity in the in the message. Sure. The record. Well, you know, I mean, again, you know, um, I, I was drawn very much into uh, Little Grasshopper, especially um, one of the tracks. Yeah. And, and it's a um, uh, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but it's it's one of the prettiest songs on the on the record. In, in my opinion, it's it's a uh, it's a beautiful melody, but it's kind of it, it's I guess a six, eight kind of feel to it. Um, yeah. You, you know, I, I guess some people might refer to it as, you know, a, a kalimba or, or, you know, uh, kind of featured on the song. It's, sure. it's just, um, how do I want to say this? I I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words, which never happens. I'm, <laughs> I'm never at a loss for words, but l- let me put it this way. If you were going to have a dinner party where you wanted to encourage your dinner guests to get up and dance, this is a good record. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> well, good. Yeah. D- d- is that a fair, uh, is that a fair description of the record? I think so. Uh, because, uh, you know, still it's just record. It's not a, it's not a commercial salsa record or, or that, that uses the formulas strictly to dance. But for me, the element of dance, it was very important in the record. That's why the grooves, the tempos of the songs, always I wanted to feel that, that I could feel it. You know, that there's not like a extremely fast song because I want this music yeah, that you feel that groove to dance. So that was, there's a boogaloo, there's a cumbia, there's some one style that is called salsa choque, that is a style in Colombia that mixes Cuban rhythm with salsa with urban elements. So for me to keep that sense of movement, of dancing, even if it's jazz and the complex harmonies, everything always has to be there because that's, that's what makes it alegría. Exactly. Well, and, and, you know, I mentioned also the track, um, The Strength to Love, a yeah. very um, African, uh, rhythmically, uh, you know, I, I could hear the African um, influence on that track. It's just the record is put together in such a way that, you know, it's it's very listenable. You know, I mean, sometimes when you think, OK, this is a, a percussion record, it's it, I, I don't know. You know, there, there are other guys that put out percussion records that. After three or four minutes, you you get some fatigue listening to yeah. it, if yeah. that makes sense. This record did not give me any of that, you know, fatigue. I did not get tired of of hearing it. So th- that goes to show that you're not just putting, you know, out a a percussion solo record. I mean, th- these are truly songs. It's very very listenable, and it sounds incredible. So, uh, you know, kudos to you. Uh, the record is um, the street date is uh, October twenty fourth. Is that right? Twenty five, October twenty five. Twenty five. Okay. So, where is the record going to be available? Are we going to be able to get it on iTunes and Spotify and all those different yes. places? All the you know the the usual you know the physical records, of course, the usual CD baby, internet, and all the stores, all the stores, the digital streaming services, everything. They're going to be distributed by. A very big, uh, you know, digital distributor. So it should be everywhere. Okay, wonderful. Now I'm gonna, you know, I do this for all my guests, not not just you, but I'm gonna say this to everybody: when you go to get this record, buy it from CD Baby because Samuel gets to keep more money through CD Baby's distribution channels. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> so if you want to help Samuel the most. Buy, buy it from CD Baby. Um, you know, it's in this day and age, and I would love to hear your opinion on this. When you release music now, it's not like it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. 
you know, I, obviously you're not releasing this record to get rich. That, that's, that's not the, you know, the motive behind this. No. You know, how do you define success with this record? Well, the big success for me also that this record was also made with a, with a grant of Chamber Music America. Okay. So I got that grant two times and that's how I made my, my last, my, my last latest two records. Okay. So, so that's a big help because I don't have any financial, you know, like interest. Or, or so of course, you will have to recuperate something, but whatever. But, but the record is is being able to to out thanks to the grant. Gotcha. And and for me, success is that a lot of people listen to music at this moment when the streaming services, you know, they don't really pay you too much or whatever. Business has changed a lot, and and our uh, it's not only our role but our responsibility as musicians is to keep the music alive and still recording music and still putting it out. And and if you you get a, if you don't get the money back on sales, but you can get the money back in a way in different ways, yeah, like your name goes out, people begin to recognize you, you, your work, so maybe you get hired for better paying gigs, and sometimes you get invited to big festivals because they know the music you have put out. If you don't make that effort to bring music out, nobody will ever know your music. Sure. And, and that's one of the things, like in terms of financial, you know, success that you can get from a record, but for me the most important is that people that as much as people listen to music and hopefully a lot of people that don't think like me, maybe they listen to the record and there's a sensibility inside them so the hate stops a little bit. Yeah, well that, that would that would be a that would be a great success that, that the message about diversity and, and and love between all of humans uh, can spread more. Yeah, well, you know, um I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we are not a political show at all. We talk about drums and percussion, but this day and age is different. I think there's more division amongst us than there is unity. And this record is, is beautiful. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't think I could say, Oh, you know, Samuel, you should have played this on track seven in the, you know, 43rd bar. You know, I, I'm not a judge of anybody's music, but um, this is a great record. It is um, the joy comes through. Let me say it that way. Um, it sounds like a record that was recorded with a bunch of musicians in the room together, having a great time doing happy music. So I, yes. I, I think you've hit it, hit the nail on the head with the name. So yes, I, I have to be honest. Uh, it took me that was the first name that came to my mind. Alegria. But then we, we with some friends and we, we were thinking, okay, but the Alegria maybe it's too heavy, and you know we think about other names and better words. And we thought and you said no, it's, it's because there's this very famous circus. Uh, you know, Alegría, a show from uh, the Circo de Soleil. I was like, no, maybe Alegría. And you know what? No, we thought a lot about it, and there's not very word that describes what I wanted to express. We wanted all the musicians to express in that record. I, I, I agree. I don't think there's a better word to describe it. It, it is a joyous record, and I strongly encourage all of my listeners to check it out because it is a great record. Now, let me ask you this. It, you're in the New York City area. Um, if Are you giving lessons? Are you teaching folks that, that want to get into hand percussion or, or no? Yeah, look, actually, I, I, I always been teaching a private students, you know, people sometimes who come to New York and want to study with me percussion. Uh, but then a, a, year, a year and a half ago, Almost two years, something beautiful changed in my life. And it was that uh, I got hired to teach percussion in a private school for kids. Oh, awesome. Uh, and and it, it's not even the after-school program. It's, it's inside the, the, the daily school. So I teach every day with kids. And it's 
unbelievable. It's amazing because many of these kids, they never, they never had maybe about Latin music. They didn't know what Tito Puente was. But now, you know, I'm there teaching percussion, putting them to play the congas, the clave, the cascara, maracas. And, and it's amazing to see these kids playing and, and you just put in your, we say in Spanish, el granito de arena, you know, a little grain of sand just to, to, to these kids to, to love percussion and to, when they grow up, you know, get involved more into supporting the art. So you truly are developing our next generation of great percussionists. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's the idea. That's the idea. They're, they're great kids. And like if even if many of them of them not become don't become a professional percussion musicians, the love for a percussion, you just have to put this that seed on, on them. Uh, and that's really nice. That's I, it's one of the most rewarding experiences I ever had in my life. Yeah, well, for sure. And you know, I, I'm curious, do you do you feel like traditional Latin percussion is a a lost art form because you know i mean it's certainly not as popular as it once was you know you mentioned the great tito puente i mean you know everybody's heard of tito and and what he did was he brought it to the mainstream you, yeah you know there are tons of great percussionists out there doing work you know, and, and on these, you know, large tours and things like that. But I, do you feel like maybe it's not as mainstream as it once was? Uh, well, I don't know. I think, I think it's difficult to compare because at that time, maybe it was more exotic or the first time to, to show these instruments in front of the band. Uh, but I don't think it's a lost form. It's actually, it's actually getting more and more and more stronger, you know, sure. uh, the love for, for hand percussion. Maybe there's not that many, like, percussion is band leaders, let's say, of our generation, let's it, say. Yeah, there I'm you go. I'm not that famous, but because everything is different now. But uh, I think the actually, every more, the interest of on our our Afro-Latin American traditions is even stronger. And in a, in, for example, now in Latin America, in Colombia, uh, you know, we were uh, colonialist countries, you know, so, so our heritage from the colonialism has a lot of social uh, differences and a lot of races and all that stuff. And it took a lot of time for us Latinos to embrace and, and feel proud of our African-American tradition. You know, there's great artists who did it, but inside of our countries, there was still a lot of racism. You know, I'm talking about the 50s, the 60s, 70s, you know, But that mentality has begun to change, you know, because uh, you could see that Latin American people discovered that in that Afro-Latin American influence, there's so much richness, there's so much beauty, and people all over the world are beginning to appreciate it a lot. So then you be, they begin to feel proud of it and we're embracing it. So I think actually more and more and more are people getting closer to their Afro-Latin Afro, American influences and indigenous, the indigenous influences too. So. Yeah, well, that's well said. And, and I'm, I'm glad you said it. I was hoping that's where that would go. Uh, so yeah. um, again, everyone, Alleg uh, Allegrea, um, October 25th, go get this record. Um, Samuel, our tradition on the drum shuffle is we always ask all of our guests for a good piece of advice to wrap up our interview. And I want to be respectful of your time, but share with all of our, you know, drummers and percussionists, a good piece of advice that, that we should, you know, employ in our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, I think especially an advice for percussionists and, and drummers is that sometimes a percussion, we could live in this bubble of the percussion world, but we cannot forget that above percussion, we are musicians. So the important thing is to create music with the instrument. Uh, there's a lot of um, 
you can have a lot of technique and speed and do pyrotechnicals on the drum, everything, and it, that's wonderful. But that's only resources for you to create music. That's not the music. The music goes beyond that. And that, if you think like that first on musicians, then the doors open for you because when you play with other musicians, they begin to feel this interaction. You begin to make them feel good. And that's the beauty of music, that you play with someone and it's like you're uh, touching their heart as, as, they, as they touch your own heart. So it's always to remember that it's music. Above everything, it's music. That's, that's wonderful advice. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And your uh, record is very musical. I love it. It's great. Please keep in touch with us. Let us know what's going on in your life. You are welcome on this program anytime, Samuel. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything. I'm really thankful for your support and to all the percussionists for supporting our music. And we keep supporting each other. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, we will talk to you very, very soon, Samuel. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 79 of The Drum Shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. We simply cannot do this show without you doing so each and every week. Uh, As always, I'm going to ask you to hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen to The Drum Shuffle. We have lots of interviews coming up that you're certainly not going to want to miss. Many thanks go out to Samuel Torres for taking time to come on the show I just love being able to get hip to new music that would not normally cross my radar if it weren't for this show. Uh, I feel completely educated after talking to Samuel for just about an hour, and uh, I can't say it enough. The new record, Alegria, is something that, that everybody that loves great rhythmic records should own, so make sure you pick up a copy of that. As always, we answer every single email that we receive here at the Drum Shuffle. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And of course, you can find more info on me over at jamieeds.com. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro of the show, I do have a, a big show this week with Funnel. It is our first gig in 11 years. It's going to be out at the Country Boy Brewing Tap Room in Georgetown, Kentucky on Saturday, the 28th. We play at 7 p.m. So if you're in this area, please stop by, see us, make sure you say hi after the show. I'll be glad to see some drum shuffle faces out there in the crowd. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody.